friends, welcome back to another episode of Rolling With The Punches. Dad, I think this is episode 32. Don't hold me to that, I don't retain numbers very well, but if I, if my memory suits me, this is episode 32. Awesome, awesome. And, uh, yeah. Happened. And, and we apologize for being a few days uh, late in getting this one out, but someone has been busy. Someone has been uh, in Daytona, or maybe more like New Smyrna specifically, uh, with the uh, World Series of Asphalt Racing for nine consecutive nights. Man, I was <laughs> watching you and being around all those. Tell Jesse, how was it? I mean, that's this is great. Oh. I, I want to hear about it. It was so fun, first of all. I mean, the idea of nine consecutive nights of racing can be a little bit intimidating. We had about anywhere from three to five races a night, usually closer to five. Um, but talk about an awesome experience. I've been over to New Smyrna to watch the ARCA East race the past few seasons that I'm down in Daytona working over at the Daytona International Speedway. We usually pop over and watch a race or two. But to be there for the entire World Series of Asphalt was so cool. And just to follow the storylines. And then on top of that, track pass, God bless them, trusted me enough <laughs> to send me out there with no pit reporting experience and gave me an opportunity to learn over those nine days. And for that, I am so thankful that not only Track Pass, but NBC Sports trusted me to be on the ARCA broadcast. I mean, there was a lot of trust being thrown at me <laughs> those nine days, but I am so thankful for the opportunity. It was such a blast. Yeah, I know the learning curve was pretty steep, but I, I really, you know, and I'm a pretty, pretty harsh critic, even though if you are my daughter, but I thought you really you did well and you learned so much from night one to night nine. Uh, so many, over 175 drivers and all those different cars and drivers, all those different teams and show after show after show. Um, and then uh, dealing with, uh, you know, having to learn, you know, you know, in every show, no matter what you're doing, track pass or speed 51 or whether you're doing wide world of sports, there is always going to be uh, technical issues you have to overcome, and you had your share of those, headset-wise, <laughs> technical. But you know what? I thought, I thought, uh, you know, kudos to that whole team, Speed Fifty One team that worked there. Uh, you know, Bob Dillner's bunch that came in and did a great job. And I, you know, and you you had one camera guy. I get this because I used to work with a guy named Corky Corcoran when I first started. Oh yeah, and he was Love like un unbelievable. But you had a guy named Daryl Canfield who was your your pit, pit camera, and he was not only the, the camera for the interviews and for Victory Lane and pre-race, but he actually was a, was a race coverage camera out there getting those great shots down the straightaway. So holy cow, Jess, this one guy oh, yeah. sort of a doing, doing it all. Oh, Daryl did it all. Uh, I owe the some of my biggest thanks to Daryl. He was running around with me in the pits. And like you said, not only did he cover every single interview, every single, you know, infield shot as far as the action going on there but he was also the only camera guy inside of the track um covering turn one covering stuff right there on the start finish line and like let me tell you daryl is fearless there were times that cars were wrecking coming down the front straightaway and daryl did not flinch like he is just like <laughs> videoing these cars under his feet and i'm stressed out for him thinking well there goes Daryl you know and he yeah. just had got the most incredible shots and then would run over and, and get with me so um big 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 shout out to Daryl he um yeah. he killed it and like you said the entire speed 51 that was the crew that we used with track pass to do uh the entire nine days so it was just really fun working with a lot of different different people yeah, I mean, and and the guys, uh, the guys that were in the booth, I mean, they both did a really nice job. In fact, Charles Crawl, 
um, you know, that was a color guy, the analyst there. He he was where he worked with us years and years ago, back in two in the early two thousands when I was doing the the back then it was a NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, mm -hmm. Phil Parsons was my analyst on ESPN, and he worked with us and our crew. Uh, we had Amy East as one of our pit reporters, and it was uh, Charles was with us every weekend, and he his work ethic, his hustle, he knew everything about you know the trucks and the background drivers, just like he did for this series here, and did a really nice job in the booth as a broadcaster. So um, mm -hmm. I know it was tiring. Both? I know a lot, a lot of a lot of nights, but you guys you guys uh, put on some pretty good TV. Well, it's a pretty late nights, but who's to complain when you have a late night at the racetrack and then you get up and then you get to go do it all over again the next day? I mean, who? I, I really can't complain when my job is literally hanging out at New Smyrna and talking about racing. It, it was awesome. And like you said, Adam Mackey in the booth, play-by-play, -play, Charles Crawl, uh, the analysts there, they did such a great job. And they also, big thanks to them as well, because they helped me out. I'm running through the pits with no idea what I'm doing, trying to figure it all out. And they were very kind to me. And again, Charles, he now works uh, with ARCA. So you can hear him on all the ARCA broadcasts, both ARCA East and the ARCA West broadcast. That is Charles Hall in the races. So uh, stick around with him this season. It's going to be a pretty, as we've already seen, it's going to be pretty exciting ARCA season as well. So, oh, I think so. Um, and, and one, a couple nights you guys got out of there about 2 a.m. and uh, headed back <laughs> to the hotel, and then you had to be at Daytona the next morning at like 7.30 in the morning, and you were on time, which I'm very proud of you for. You were on <laughs> time and you are ready, ready to rock and roll. Because you had a pretty pretty good, uh, pretty special co-host for your Pace Lab show in Daytona. And you walk in the door to sit down in the studio, and your co-host is chuckling, and he says, hey, you had a late night last night, Jesse. I watched, I watched, so he, <laughs> he watched uh, New Smyrna. He knew you probably had about two and a half, three hours sleep. Yes, uh, Mr. Mike Helton was so, so, so kind to come be my co-host. And uh, it was funny because that one particular night, I was like, maybe we'll get done a little early and then I'll have, you know, time to get up and get ready and just like feel refreshed. Well, that was just naive of me for even thinking that that was a possibility. But um, it made me feel really good when you come sit down next to Mr. Helton and he's like, oh, I've been watching you on Track Pass. And I'm like, oh, wow, I am nervous you know like, but uh no it was it was really cool and of course you know I'm like I'm learning I'm learning like, like trying to express to everyone like yeah, this is only my fourth day of doing this you know but um yeah, it was really nice and you're right I mean I, I was busy while I was there I did the nine days of, of the world series and then I shot the pace lap with Mr. Helton and I shot uh, the Hot Lap, which is our social media show on um, MAV TV's social media. That one was not quite as glamorous. I shot that in the parking lot at Target, yes, at uh, in New Smyrna. But you know what? That is um, that's content creation these days, and I just love that. You know, you gotta gotta do what you can when you can do it, and it worked yeah. out. So that's awesome. That's great, Jess. Well, I'm glad you got a chance to go, and I, I, uh, I we watched. Um, apparently, you know, they, they, apparently, you know, there's a lot of fans that like us that are hungry for racing. And so you, that you're that, those track pass shows, those, uh, NBC gold, um, track pass events were, had got a great audience, got a huge audience. And cause you had, you know, one night you had the uh, Arkham and RZ series and you had all the other, yeah, the, the, you know, the, um, the modified tour, the modified, they had, mm -hmm. they had like oh, they yeah. had 40, tour type mods. 40 cars down there from the Northeastern modifies to come from all over the North that brought back so many, so many for the Richie Evans Memorial race down there. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I just thought the racing was great. That that, that gave me chills because I used to go down there when I was going to Daytona earlier with Jerry Cook and with Richie Evans. And when the race would be over at one o'clock in the morning, 
you know, or two o'clock in the morning, we would leave the racetrack with Richie and Billy Nasowitz and his team. And we'd go to a little Mexican place called La Petite Hacienda, which is right in Port Orange, not there anymore. And it was, uh, and they didn't have a lot of business until about 1.45 in the morning when we would all get <laughs> back there. So yeah, that was, those guys raced hard and they played hard, but that modified tour race uh, was awesome. And, ha- and how about Ryan Priest? How about him coming down mm-hmm. from Daytona, especially on pole day when he qualified so well at Daytona, well, I was, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I asked him I, right before the race, he's already in his seat, he had his helmet on. I just stuck my head in the driver's side window there. I said, Ryan, why was it so important for you to get here this evening? Why did you decide to do this? And he looked at me and he was like, because if I wasn't here racing, I'd be sitting on my couch and I want to be racing. And I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I asked him too, I said, are you concerned about starting from the back? He was like, no. I was like, all right, have a good race, buddy. I'll talk to you, talk to you in victory lane. And I did. I mean, he put on quite the performance, but I just thought that was so neat. You know, I mean, he made it such a priority to come, come over to New Smyrna and run that modified race because racers want to race and Ryan sees the, uh, the respect and importance of going over and competing in that world series of asphalt at New Smyrna Speedway. So I thought that was really neat before we move on, because this is not the, um, let's talk about Jesse's pit reporting episode of Rolling with the Punches. Although we could do that later if you want. I can tell you everything I learned and <laughs> everything I did wrong if anyone's interested in that. But um, I do want to extend another thank you just to everybody that tuned in and everybody that reached out to me. I got so much kind feedback from people on Twitter and people are just so kind. And it really does mean the world to me that you took the time to get on your phone and shoot me a tweet and tell me that I'm I'm doing a good job or, or just to tell me that you enjoy watching um, the coverage that we're bringing to you. I, I really want to extend a thank you because I don't feel like I can do that properly in a Twitter response. So um, thanks guys. That really does mean the world to me that you reach out. But dad, like I said, this is episode 32 of Rolling with the Punches. If you are new here and you haven't already gathered who we are, I am Jesse Punch. This is my dad, Dr. Jerry Punch, and we're here to talk NASCAR. Occasionally we talk a few other things, but for, for the most part, it's primarily NASCAR, and the season has started. So when it comes to talking NASCAR, we have no shortage of topics to cover this week because we have already seen such an exciting start to the 2021 season. But Dad, we, I mean, it's Sunday now, so we're about to see another cup race here uh, on the Daytona Road Course in just a few hours. But let's talk about what we've seen so far. Let's just start start at the beginning. Bush Clash on the Road Course thoughts do we like it do we love it do we how do we feel about it so far well i mean i i'm i'm a uh, you know i'm a traditionalist i like the oval i always like the oval i got to work the very first bush clash that ever ever was take took place 20 laps among pole sitters and i was an assistant for ned jarrett who was covering it for cbs and so i i, I liked it on the oval and you know it's sort of like you know, I heard Dale Jr. mentioned, you know, last week or so in, in one of his podcasts, he said, you know, it's sort of like if, you know, you, if you go to grandma's on Sunday and you know her specialty is fried chicken and you go one Sunday and you're expecting fried chicken and she's got sushi, you're saying, grandma, you know, I'll eat it <laughs> and it's going to be okay. But man, you, you fried chicken, your fried chicken is the best. And so it's sort of his way of saying Daytona is a super speedway with an oval that, that really makes us but on the other hand, you know, given what I've seen the last few years with on road courses, how exciting it's been, you know, I, I've become a fan and, and, and I cannot applaud, you know, 
you know, Steve Phelps and NASCAR enough for mixing it up, you know, like it did last year, being able to pivot on a dime and go back to Daytona, run the road course events and get all the events in. So that said, you know, I, I didn't mind it at all. I, I and, it, and it turned out it was a wild finish. Um, oh, my gosh. I, some of the people you thought, you know, I mean, Kevin Harvick, my goodness, I don't think, you know, I, he were, he's such a talented driver, but I don't think he was on the pavement very much. So he probably couldn't have, couldn't have used up his tires much because mud doesn't use your tires up. Um, and, and then, you know, Martin Truex, I mean, gosh, he looks like he's going to win this thing. And there's mud and the chicane on the backstretch or someone threw up on the track and he spins and hits the wall. And then the buddies, the pals, you know, Ooh, the hang out together boys. Yeah. You know, the besties. Uh, you know, they, they get together and Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney and, uh, and suddenly holy and, and the race is over. but you know what, here's the best part. I liked about it. Both those guys are friends and buddies, but it didn't make, it didn't matter. It didn't matter mm-hmm. on the last lap of that race. Here's Chase Elliott running Ryan Blaney down and, uh, he's got to try to win the race. And that's what he said in the interview. He said, I have to try to win the race. He said, I, I'm not, I'm not hired, paid to, to, to run second or give my buddy a shot. Ryan Blaney said, yeah, I'm disappointed he hit me. I'm disappointed I spun and the whole deal, but he's trying to win the race. And so he, they got that. They understood that's just what they do. You know, and that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this isn't even a points-paying race. I mean, it's a paying race, don't get me wrong. You get a, a lot of great, you know, things back from winning the Clash. But you're so right. I mean, I love that they're willing to go that hard for this exhibition race before we've even gotten to the 500. And I think, too, I love what you said about Kevin Harvick because I had Todd Gilliland on my show this week and I was talking to Todd about getting ready to go to the the Daytona road course and Todd ran there last year, but they had some electrical issues pretty early on. So he didn't get a ton of, you know, long, long uh, run experience there. And he said to me, he said, I'm going to be honest. We watched the Bush Clash and you watched the best of the best, like Kevin Harvick spinning out left and right. And it made me feel so much better going into this race, knowing that even Kevin Harvick could barely handle the road course at Daytona right now, given the lack of experience everyone has on it. So I thought that was pretty funny that Todd said that, but I'm with you. I loved this change in schedule. And I think, and NASCAR knew exactly what they were doing when they did this. Um, The fact that we knew we were going back to the Daytona road course just a week later added such another element to seeing the bush clash because it it gave drivers an opportunity to kind of um test it out but obviously race in a competitive manner like we saw and from a fan standpoint it gave us a little bit of a sneak peek as to okay we're gonna be back here pretty soon this is building the excitement um and you didn't see kind of the same I don't want to say that drivers ever use the Bush Clash just to do their 500 homework, but it almost made going into the 500 even more unpredictable than it already is because we weren't able right. to look at the Clash and say, oh, well, look how they ran just a few days prior. Um, right. So I really enjoyed that, that element of, how, of the scheduling and how it changed how viewers watched the upcoming races. You know, there was no practice for the, uh, for the Bush class. Right. They, the drive, some of the drivers with the NASCAR said, how about a, an hour of practice? They said, no, you know, you didn't, everyone's <laughs> going to be on the same. Everyone's going to be as lost as an Easter egg, as Benny Parsons would always say. So you're <laughs> going to, you're going to be, um, you're, you're going to go, you'll be in the same boat. And so those guys rolled into turn one and, uh, and we'll say, you know, who, who who's going to make it, who's not. And there were a couple of them that decided to go right and then left and right and left again, but the, before they got to turn two, but they made it. And so um, uh, I agree. And, and the fact that they were going to come back a week later 
And, and here's the other thing. A lot of, a lot of the team, team said, you know, we used to used to sort of go to school with the Bush Clash and realize we weren't going to win the Bush Clash. We're just going to learn. We're going to pit, make a couple mm -hmm. pit stops and change this and change that. Sort of a, a test session and uh, not worry about it. We knew we couldn't win it. We were just going to use, use the time to get ready for the 500. You couldn't do that. It's a whole different race car. This is a high horsepower, low downforce car versus the, 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 the low horsepower, high downforce car. You, with the nine inch spoiler, you're going to run the 500 a week later. So it was a completely different animal. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. And the fact that they drove so hard uh, late in the race, guys are trying to run. And, and, uh, and I, I just think it's going to be, you know, the race, you know, the return race to Daytona, is going to be wild. I mean, and, and oh, by the way, uh, this guy that won the Daytona 500, Michael McDowell, he's a pretty oh. good road racer and he gets a start up front because of that. And so, hey, you know, that, that's, that, I think that's going to be cool. So I, I, I'm, you're right, Jesse. I think in the way NASCAR's master plan worked out, no practice, go run the Bush Clash. It's going to be wild. They're going to be slipping and sliding and bumping and running into each <laughs> other, which is exactly what happened. We may have to make some modifications, which they've done now with the ripple strips to try to keep people out of the mud at the uh, chicane on the backstretch, which I think is a really good move by NASCAR mm -hmm. uh, to help protect the racetrack. Uh, but, hey, you know what? They had a good race, and it was a great beginning to Speed Weeks. Well, you mentioned Michael McDowell. Let's talk about that Daytona 500 because as if the Bush Clash wasn't an exciting enough way to kick off the season, the 500 was like, sit down, let me show you a little something about racing. Holy cow, 14, 15 laps in, we get our first big one that I don't think anyone was expecting, and yeah. especially yeah. a number of those guys that were involved in it. I mean, right off the bat, we take out a handful of key players that a lot of people had picked as potentially their winner. So, I mean, that's just 15 laps in. And then you get down to the finish there and to watch Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano battling it out. Joey obviously in the lead, Brad on his bumper. And then Michael McDowell to be able to think as quickly and react as quickly as he did. He had himself right there in position. And I interviewed him this week, uh, last week, I guess, for for Pace Lap. And he, he said... Yeah, I, I was sitting exactly where I wanted to be sitting. We all were anticipating a move there at the end, and I was able to capitalize on it. And um, so Michael McDowell by no means just found himself there. He put himself there. And he had an incredibly impressive, consistent run that entire race and has had an impressive, consistent run the past few Daytona 500s. So yeah, to be able to see him pull it off, <laughs> oh, talk about a feel-good moment. Oh, well, I, I don't think anybody in the garage area was disappointed other than the fact that if they couldn't win it, you know, why not have one of the nicest and nicest guys in the world we've ever been around, one of the most committed, one of the most unselfish, sincere, humble, hospitable guys and team owners and Bob and, Bob and Brad Jenkins, mm -hmm. you know, all they've given to the sport. Um, and how about the fact that Loves, the big, the big heart, won the race on Valentine's Day, the big Loves truck know, star car. That, that's that's good. But, you know, that's but Michael, so Michael McDowell, you know, he's had three top fives at Daytona. They, they've run in the top ten. He, it's not like he back. He's been there. Anybody that's watched a Daytona race knows that if you know Brad Keselowski, Brad Keselowski doesn't like to be blocked. And mm -hmm. but he also he, and he's Brad has made a point of saying, "You block me." You're not gonna block me. I'm I'm not gonna take it. Yeah, you're you're gonna go and my, I may go too, but you're going. And mm -hmm. in fairness, Brad Kozlowski didn't he didn't change his philosophy just because it was his teammate. He went high and he went low and got a move and then Joey moved. But in Joey Logano's um, defense, Joey says, you know, I'm trying to win the Daytona five hundred. It is what I am paid to do by my boss and your boss, by the way. And you're trying to win it, I'm trying to win it. 
and at Roger Penske, uh, you know, I, I, hey, you know, he probably said, my two guys are trying to win a race, and so I don't want you to wreck each other, but you're both trying to win the dadgum race. Brad doesn't mm-hmm. like to be blocked. Joey's probably one of the best at blocking on a super speedway. And, he's, and Michael McDowell's sitting there thinking, now, wait a minute, I'm riding behind Brad Kozlowski, and he's about to be blocked by one of the best blockers in racing, and he doesn't like to be blocked. So, huh, <laughs> let me. Yeah, he me, said, I'm going to wait it out. <laughs> I'm going to stay right here and wait, wait till the dust, dust clears and find an opening and win this sucker. And that's exactly what he did. So I heard, I heard an interview last week with Brad Kozlowski on Sirius XM, and he said, I have done absolutely everything I can do in these Daytona 500 races. I've walked away from these races thinking I did everything right. Why am I not the one in victory lane? And he said this phrase, he said, you know, Daytona just hasn't picked me yet. And that stuck with me. And I will never watch a Daytona 500 again without thinking about that phrase. Daytona just hasn't picked me. And watching Michael McDowell in victory lane this week, I went, Daytona picked you, but it was your turn. And I just think that that is just the neatest way to watch these races. And it really puts you in the mindset of, of the drivers out there competing. NASCAR could easily have said, well, uh, we go back and look at it. And NASCAR's most popular driver, Chase Elliott, was the winner, uh, which would have been huge for them. The most popular driver, the defending champion, blah, 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 wins the Daytona 500. No, they went back and did, looked at the, at the video from the time they hit that plunger in the tower, which stops the scoring, you know, um, because the yellow flag comes out and they go back and look at it and said, hey, Michael McDowell was a car length ahead of Chase Elliott. He's our Daytona 500 champion. Good for you, mm-hmm. NASCAR. It's exactly what sports should be. It's legitimate. It's the right call. And it's exactly on the money. So having Michael McDowell win it, in my opinion, says a lot about what, what the sport is now. Michael told me too that that what was what maybe a minute less than between uh, the incident that happened between Logano and Kozlowski and them actually announcing McDowell as the official winner. I asked him about that and he said that was an eternity. <laughs> he said that that sixty seconds was the longest minute of my entire life, just waiting to hear if I was the one. And he said I was pretty sure I was I was ahead. But you just can never be so sure. And um, I thought that was so funny to think about because as fans, I mean, we felt the same way. We were just waiting for, for the final result. And I can't even imagine being in Michael McDowell's driver's seat at that moment. But you're absolutely right. And I love what you said, too, about them battling it out for the finish. If Okay, if Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott are willing to go too wide into the chicane there to try to get the win at the bush clash then you better believe brad kislowski is expected to make a move on joey logano to win the daytona 500 and a guy like brad kislowski who if you've listened to absolutely any interview with brad surrounding this race he wants it so bad he still doesn't have that 500 win on his resume and he wants it so bad how could he not make a make a move there at the end to try to get it well there's a there's a little bit of Earnhardt in my opinion and that's in in Brad Kozlowski and that's that's one of the highest compliments I can pay him because I I like the fact that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win the race and that you know you may like people off the track they may be you may be related to people off the track but on the racetrack it's you and that steering wheel it's you and the two you know and that steering wheel and 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 he's trying to win the race and you know, and here's the best. Here's another part I like. They did. He didn't get out of the car. He didn't get out of the car and start blasting Joey Logano. And Joey Logano mm-hmm. didn't get out of the car or start pointing the finger at Brad K. They both talked about it. it's racing. Here's what we're trying to do. You know, 
I knew what I was going to do. I, I'm, I can only drive my car. You know, so they didn't really get into a he said, she said kind of. No, it, they, they handled it professionally, uh, which Roger Penske has to admire. And also, uh, that whole situation, when they asked Chase Elliott, as soon as they asked Chase Elliott about uh, the end of the race, Chase, Chase, I mean, he fessed up right away. He said, I looked over and he said, there's no question that McDowell was at least a car length ahead of me. When, that, when mm -hmm. I looked up and saw the caution flag, caution lights on, looked over, he was ahead of me. So Chase wasn't going to try to, you know, whine, moan, and groan, and whine about how I won the race. No. He said, hey, this is the right call. He won the race. And that's pretty cool. That's a champion. That's, a, that's what a champion does. Um, I also want to say briefly, we can talk about how, how spectacular this finish is because everybody was okay, obviously. And again, whole spiel, kudos to NASCAR. The safety innovations that we've seen in the number of years has just been absolutely spectacular. And the fact that you can watch a finish like that and watch an incident and the entire field get, get caught up into it behind uh, the two leaders there and fire and, and there's tires flying. I mean, yeah. we can only talk about how spectacular that was because every single person walked out of the car to the infield care center and they were just fine, um, which is incredible. And I, I can't remember who it is. It's driving me nuts. I either think it was, I want to say it was Austin Sindrick. Um, and he tweeted afterwards, one thing I learned today or something, because you know, this was his first cup start. He said, I, I learned today a lot of things, but I also learned that fire is hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> just very, just very generally. I thought that was really funny because I mean, his entire car was engulfed in this fiery madness there coming yeah, around I, turn four. Yeah, so I, 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 and how, how, how good is that young man, Austin Sindrick, making the oh first Daytona 500 start? How poised and composed. Uh, can you tell he's learned a lot? He's come up the right way and learned mm -hmm. from his dad, from Tim, and from being around the Penske organization. But here's the best part is that Tim, his dad, or, or Roger Penske, nobody can drive that car. He's the only one sitting in that seat. Right. But he's got to hold that steering wheel. And he did such a nice job uh, in the Daytona 500, you know. Um, and, and, and talking about fire, Brad Keselowski showed the head surround, the little head surround piece he's got where it's under his helmet. The the, mm -hmm. uh, the the emblems, the labels have been melted away by the fire. At that, he said that's wow. how that's how hot it was, and how close it was in the car. Uh, you wow. know, you think about safety, and it's hard to believe. It seems like it's been decades ago, but it was just a year ago um, that you know we saw the miracle in Daytona, the Ryan Newman flip and hit, and and mm. and, and then uh, two days later, forty eight hours later still to, to me is one of the, my most favorite pictures ever was seeing oh. that picture a silhouette of him walking out of that hospital holding his two little girls hands um that right there um is was was special and and so much had happened that day with him we've talked about it over and over again if you watched the pre-race show for the 500 which was spectacular i was so engaged in every moment of that pre-race show uh, they fox just knocked it out of the park with that one it was amazing but i have to say when they prefaced that we were going to hear from ryan newman you're already like okay this is going to be this is going to oh, be yeah. good this is going to be intense and then tom rinaldi steps out and you're like Oh no, and I'm grabbing my tissues like, oh, they have just done this right. And talking to Ryan Newman there at his home. Oh, yeah. like there are no words. You know, you know, there, you know, uh, I, I, the brain is an amazing, the brain's an amazing organ in that, uh, and God's incredible. But Ryan Newman has no memory of that wreck. Mm -hmm. And that's probably uh, a blessing because things happen in our life. And I've seen it time and again when people have come in the emergency room 
or, or drivers. Um, Bobby Allison, for example, after his bad wreck at Pocono, he has no memory of, of the Daytona 500 win when he and Davey were running, you know, it's just wiped away. But people have gone through in terrible, terrible pain and suffering. Uh, it, it gets wiped out. It gets wiped away. And so, um, and, and Ryan says, I don't remember. I remember waking up and being, you know, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And I, but I don't remember the impact and the rolling and tumbling, which is good. Uh, absolutely good. But yeah, that was an, an incredible feature. I thought um, Fox did a wonderful job with the, with the whole pre-race down there. It was good to see um, fans in the stands, 30,000 fans in the stands at Daytona. Man, that made my, that just gave me goosebumps. Uh, pre-race show, live pre-race show with mm -hmm. uh, country music. Um, you know, driver in Combs doing his thing. Yeah. 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 Wearing a Dale Earnhardt Intimidator jacket. How cool oh. is that? Oh my. Which, God. how do you get your hands on one of those? I mean, yeah. that was, that yeah. was something that I want in my closet. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome. It's pretty doggone awesome. So, uh, and just a while, just, just a week of special events. Speaking of special events, how about Jamie Little becoming the first oh. woman to do play by play for a national motorsport series when she hosted the ARCA Menard series. Mm -hmm. She and my buddy Phil Parsons. And I told, I texted Jamie when that announcement came out. I was so excited for because she started uh, as a pit reporter. You know, when I was in the middle of my career, she came in and worked IndyCar with us and worked in NASCAR. And then, and then through our final years and my final years with ESPN, she worked with me on pit road. And, and just she hustles and works hard, does her homework. And I know she's one of your heroes. And, and you, you, you're, you're hoping. You embarrass me every time you say that. <laughs> it's, true, it's true anyway, but I just think it's so cool. It's true. It's just so cool that that she she did that race and was up there, uh, you know, and and um, and did the ARCA race and had tremendous viewership on that ARCA race, you know, mm -hmm. um, on FS1. So that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, there is no no doubt in anyone's mind that Jamie Little did not absolutely earn that spot in the booth there and alongside Phil Parsons. Talk about an awesome broadcast team just in general, um, but. Jamie to to break a barrier like that to just have herself in the booth and and you have to imagine that this isn't the last time or this isn't the last series or last season that we will see Jamie uh in the booth calling races I have to believe that she's just on her way up from here which is as a young female uh in the sport is just the coolest thing to see and not only did she get there but she killed it i mean they did yeah. you you said the viewership was up um the response was spectacular to what they've done and i am just thrilled to see where she goes from here she is in for another it's almost like she's just she's run this incredible career course and now she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna switch lanes and try it this way now and it's like Dang, you do you, girl, because you are just killing it at every single thing that you do. And go ahead and break down some barriers for the rest of us, because we'll be uh, behind you in in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, I, I just thought I thought that was a was a huge mark. And and speaking of debuts, uh, how about the uh, the Fox booth? Uh, you know, with uh, Mr. Clint Boyer getting up there. Mr. Boyer. He was, a bit, he was a little bit nervous, which is unusual for Clint. Clint's usually not nervous about anything. <laughs> Um, uh, but him, him up there, the, the week that evolved with Clint and Jeff Gordon, uh, so, so, uh, they it just, they, they played off each other. They were serious when it needed to be to give us serious analysis. And Clint gave us some really good stuff. You know, the combination of Clint playing off Larry McReynolds who was back in the studio, Larry Mack, you know, America's crew chief. Cause that when they had that first wreck on lap 14 and 16 cars were involved, you know, 
Larry made a really good point about this, or Clint brought it up, I think, but then Larry explained it about the skew in the back of the cars when Christopher mm -hmm. Bell's car got hit from behind, you know, by, by Kyle Busch, and then he went up and got an Eric Almarola. The skew in the back of the, on the rear end of those cars makes it easy for him if you're hit at the, at the left rear to turn that car right in the front and turn it. Um, and, and I thought those guys, that really showed how Clint Boyer can be a really serious analyst and he's got Larry Mack sitting there in the studio in Charlotte, able to, with a, with a video explanation of how that works. And that was perfect. That was really, and I just thought uh, the booth situation, Mike Joy, you know, my buddy for all these years, you know, he's the best. Um, and he's just so calm and calming voice. And there's nobody yelling and screaming. He's, he's calm, but he lets, he lets Jeff jump in and have an analysis. And then Clint will say something. Clint will call Jeff out on something and Jeff will go back <laughs> after Clint. But, but the same token, you know, you're watching a race and you're, and you're getting all kinds of information from two really good guys. And so I thought it was well done. I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what lies ahead for Fox and them. And uh, I just thought that was a, a good scenario up there. And, and then I don't know if you saw it, but um, this week, I think it was on after before the uh, Xfinity race uh, on the road course uh, that Ty Gibbs won. They put um, they put Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer out on the track to do a video in passenger cars, and they came back to pit road, and the cars looked like they'd been in the movie Days of Thunder. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I actually think they're going to show footage of the feature whatever it is it might be a broadcast open they were shooting they're going to show it today before today's cup series race on the road course which i'm so excited to see and they're both on twitter like it was his fault no it was his fault yeah, yeah, you know exactly, exactly. and i'm like no no it was the fault of whoever thought it was a good idea to put the two of you in cars out on the daytona racetrack and say where's jerry Bruckheimer? Yeah, right. yeah yeah you know it'll stick in you just go to the outside cole you got specially matched tires and it's gonna stick well, someone didn't get that message to Clint Boyer and Jeff Gordon. That was funny. No. I loved keeping up with Clint's, um, like, just whole commentary of learning television. If you follow him on Twitter, I know he said uh, before the clash even they were doing I, maybe practice or something in particular that he was um, – having to go on air for and he said today i learned how to put makeup on myself you know <laughs> and i'm just like i love that this is like not only is he learning these things but he's relaying them to everyone else saying this is all the stuff i'm learning and then another day he said and today i learned um not to talk before jeff gordon or not to talk you know over uh, over jeff jeff is over in charge jeff. or something yeah do not talk do not talk over jeff that might be a piece of tape you put that's where you put that little yellow <laughs> tape on the forehead yeah yeah he, he needs a, a rookie stripe a yellow yeah, rookie yeah. stripe for his forehead oh i, I remember that i worked with a lot of guys that were drivers we had I had one guy who was a former indy 500 pole sitter and he was known he was a little bit of the clint boyer kind of guy loved to have fun um, he worked hard during the day at the racetrack and he was always out at the, hanging out at the clubs at night in Indianapolis. <laughs> and, uh, he, we put him in the broad ABC, put him in the broadcast booth beside Paul page, uh, for one of our qualifying shows. And there's a big name guy, have him in the drive in the booth. And we're like a half hour to go on the air and the producer is talking to him on his, and we can all hear it cause we're not on the air yet. And I hear this guy say, what do you mean? Huh? Why not? And he's just, this driver is saying to him, really? Are you serious? because he's retired and uh what happened was the producer of the abc telecast bob goodrich was telling him you can't drink a beer in the broadcast booth um you know and and uh before we go news to him 
uh, on the air. And uh, and then the guy came back, well, what about while we're on the air? He said, if we're in commercial, no, you can't do it while we're on the air either. You can do it after we get off the air. We're all dying laughing. But this was, that guy was a little bit of a Clint Boyer type, you know? Uh, That's so funny. Funny, yeah. I love it. And we need that kind of energy in the booth. I mean, you said yeah. it, obviously, Mike Joy is just the most calming, most informative voice yeah. that you want to hear coming out of that booth but for him to, to play referee a little bit between mr yeah. buttoned up jeff gordon here you know mr hollywood and clint mr clint is all i really need to say just yeah. is just such a fun dynamic yeah it's like you know i it's funny you got you got gq and g Wiz. exactly you got you got you know you got you got it's like it's like mike joy is driving the car remember you were you know you don't you're not a parent yet but it's like your parents are driving the car and you've got two kids in the back seat, and they continue to get a little more frisky. It's almost like the uh, um, the, the uh, uh, Manning video where the brothers are kicking each other. You know, oh the yes, side. yeah. They're getting frisky, and the dad, Mike Joyce, says, "Don't make me pull this car car over." And come <laughs> kind of deal. It's just funny that these guys, but there's it's just entertainment, and that's what it is. It's entertainment with Jeff and Clint. I mm -hmm. think that's uh, that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. Don't don't you know? Put makeup on. Don't talk before Jeff. And don't uh, do anything I wouldn't say in, in church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, I learned what a hit is, which, you know, in television, they said, do a quick hit, you know, do a quick a segment or, or speak on this. And he's like, so I learned what a hit means and all this. I just thought it was, it was really cute. But, yeah. um, Dad, you know, a couple things you've actually mentioned. I mentioned earlier that today's Sunday. We're getting ready to watch the uh, cup cars take on the Daytona road course in about an hour here from when we're recording. But, um you mentioned a couple things that I wanted to touch on this week, but now I'm thinking let's just push to next week where we can give them true time and, and discussion that they deserve. But you mentioned Ty Gibbs, which right. we got to talk about Ty Gibbs. Um, oh. He deserves, I mean, an entire episode in its own because not only the performance that he put on, but some of the, uh, I, that's so funny that you say this because I just got a text from my producer right now because we have a interview with Ty Gibbs uh, <laughs> coming up early this week. So I, um, I kind of also want to put off talking about him until I can talk with him. And then maybe I can relate sure. to you oh, some of the great. things that, oh, that he said, but um, some of the one liners he had during the broadcast that <laughs> I know you caught bits and pieces of the broadcast here and there, but he wins stage two and they're like, congrats, buddy. Way to go. Win stage two. And he says, can I get some peanut butter crackers? <laughs> over the radio like that's his response is like i need a snack and like that's what you do at recess when you're in the fourth yeah. or fifth grade he looks like he should be in the fifth grade but he's you know he's small and he's he's sweet and honest and humble and uh oh i, I and, and and i mean jamie little had to show him what where to go get the checkered flag right. he didn't know he could keep flag. it what he didn't know he was supposed to keep it yeah, no. Like she said, he didn't know he like they handed it to him and he tried to hand it back to him. Like, no, I don't. And they're like, no, that's yours, bud. You get to keep that flag. Yeah. You earned that one, dude. You take yeah. it and give it to grandpa. Maybe he'd like to have it. And uh, they had Joey Logano radio down to him from the booth at one point, and and Ty during the interview says, um, "I just the fact that I'm talking to Joey Logano right now, this is just so cool." You know, <laughs> I just thought that was so cute. I love it so much. But we, we yeah. like I said, next week we'll get all in because Ty Gibbs obviously was the storyline for that Xfinity race. But that yep. Xfinity race was spectacular. I was glued right. into the TV the entire time from Cindric and Almondinger going at it. And then you've got Ty Gibbs now showing off in the mix and Cindric and coming back with like 
right tire completely exposed. I mean, it was just, it was really cool to watch. These these road course races, I mean, we're seeing some real rivalries develop here and some young kids come in and just shock the world. And I think anytime you have Almondinger in a race, you know it's going to be exciting because he's going to, he didn't, when he was running cup, he didn't care if it was Kyle Busch or who it was, you know, uh, right. he was going to push his way around. Almondinger running for points this year. Dinger is back and Dinger's not messing around. And we saw that this weekend on the Daytona road course. We need to talk all about that next week. Yeah. But um, I also want to give shout out when we're talking about people in the booth, Drew Blickensturfer being in the booth with Joey Logano, I thought was so cool. Uh, Blick, the crew chief for Michael McDowell on that uh, loves truck stop Ford there for front row. I mean, I love that they had him in the booth. I have been blessed enough to work with him a few times, actually, just at the racetrack. We go sit down and do interviews with him because there is no one like Blick that can really sit down in a crew chief's mind and also really adequately present to you what he's thinking. Maybe, I mean, we got Larry Mack. We're all, we're all, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, Larry Mack is the crew chief, America's crew chief, but Blick is still being in the sport. There's not a lot of crew chiefs that can take what's going on up here and actually present them to you in a way that makes sense uh, to just an average race fan. And um, so I thought them bringing him in the booth after having one last week, I thought that was a really cool move. Uh, and I just love what, what Fox is doing with that. And he killed it. He did such a good job. I mean, both, both him both and Joey up there. Both he and Joey did a great job. I wish he hadn't loaned Joey one of his sport coats, though. Um, <laughs> you texted me beforehand. You were like, I think Joey needs to move to the men's section because the teen, <laughs> teen kids section isn't working for him. Poor Joey. His arms are so long, his sport coat. Yeah, it's like, I know. It's and like he, a three-quarter sleeve. <laughs> Joey's such a good dude. He did a really nice job. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, my gosh, I'd like to, I'd like to run out and buy him a coat and, go, and just go to the men's yeah. section this time and get it. But, so funny. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, both yeah. those guys did a nice job uh, in on the uh, on in the Xfinity race, and yeah, you're right, you know, and and I love the picture they had of Blake, you know, when he was a wrestler, when he was a championship wrestler. Do you see that picture? Yeah. Picture him, you know, and uh, so you know he looks like a wrestler because he, you know, focused, intense, committed, and it's all about detail, you know. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, so it's it's no gonna doubt. be a great year. It's gonna be a great year for it. Me. Really is. It really is. And like I said, we uh, next week we'll talk all about the action on the Daytona Road Course because we still haven't seen the Cup Series run there yet. So uh, when we when we circle back for episode thirty three, um, we can chat all about that. But uh, Dad, you know, we always try to take a moment in our episodes um, to highlight a NASCAR legend or highlight some sort of uh, legendary event. And I feel like this week it's only right it's only fitting to talk about Dale Earnhardt Sr. because obviously it's been 20 years since we lost Dale Earnhardt Sr. and the seeing during the 500 lap three seeing everybody do oh. that tribute for Sr. I mean just gave me chills it just they really there is no words to even describe the legacy that this man continues to have on the sport. Yeah, everyone knows what Dale could do and what he did on the racetrack. We know that last race at Talladega was still one of the, a video highlights that everyone and I cherish because I was the one blessed enough to be able to call Mr. and Mr. Restrictor Plate uh, would not be denied, the Intimidator. You know, I, I, I was, uh, but, but he did so much off the track. Dale was so respected, but not only his peers, that uh, someone didn't like him because of how he raced them, because he wouldn't cut him any slack but they respected him because of, of, of his input and knowledge. And he had such 
he's such a great common sense about where the sport was and where it was going and what was good for the sport. Uh, not necessarily as good for him, but was good for the sport. And, and the respect level went two ways between him and Bill French Jr., or Billy, as he called him. He said, Billy, Billy wants us to do this. And Dale didn't mind going in and talking to Billy and say, hey, Billy, I know it's your, your show, it's your deal, but this is what I think from a, from, a, from a driver's standpoint, what needs to happen. And then Billy would give Dale the feedback and there was such tremendous respect. You know, Larry, Larry Mack, there was a lot that went on back in those days and that Bill Jr. and Dale were such good buddies. Um, but Larry Mack this past week uh, shared a great story on, on, on Dale Jr.'s podcast, the Dale Jr. Download. Uh, and he said um, that, uh, a, you know, Bill France Jr. had the ability because of, of NASCAR had all the frequencies. He could get on anybody's frequency if he wanted to. NASCAR could get on any, anybody's frequency they wanted to. But Bill Jr. in particular, because of his relationship with Dale, would jump on every now and then during a caution flag and just say something to Dale Sr. And so Richard Childress told Larry Mack, he said, now you understand occasionally the man, this was, this was in the 1998 Daytona 500, the man's gonna jump on and talk to Dale. And Larry Mack says, the man, I mean, <laughs> I'm the man, I'm basically I'm the crew chief. Yeah, and, and, I'm calling the shots here. You understand the man, Mr. France, is going to jump on and talk to Dale. So just and so so in the middle of the race, I mean, they're toward the end of the race. Caution comes out, and Larry Mack is talking with Dale and trying to get everything. Larry's you know being the organized you know you know I dotting T crossing guy, and suddenly the the microphone's cued and says, "Hey Dale, Captain Jack here, man, go get you one today or something like that." And Dale says, "Yes, sir, going to do the best we can." Well, Larry is is just about to go postal he's about to who in the heck is on my frequency he's getting ready to get on that headset and say you know and just rip someone a new one for getting on their frequency and talking to his driver and childress runs up there and grabs larry's hand before he can grab the headset says whoa 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 captain jack is is the man captain jack is bill france so you start busting on bill france you said your your, your enjoyment of working in this professional end today <laughs> he won't be working here tomorrow you know kind of deal and so larry yeah. said you know, it didn't hit me the fact that that was Captain Jack was Bill France Jr. because of the incredible respect. And of course, we all know Dale went out and, and got that win and got right. his Daytona 500. But, but I remember a few years later um, when Mr. France was battling cancer and was so sick and was just so very sick. He didn't, he couldn't really be around the racetrack as a risk of infection. And, and, uh, but it was the IROC race and, and Dale Dale and I, and we were doing the, I was still doing the IROC race. And so, uh, and I hadn't seen Mr. France all of speed weeks, but they kept him over in his office and he had nurses and people around him because he couldn't, because he was so sick and feeble. But, but uh, we're in the last laps of the IROC race and I go to victory lane because I'm the only pit reporter. I'm waiting on Earnhardt, who's going to win the race. He comes down and wins the race. And I see this car come sailing through the infield at Daytona and pull up behind and had all these, stickers on it so it could go anywhere it wanted to go and it pulled up behind the grandstand bleachers there right that circle encircled victory lane mm -hmm. back then and out stepped and it was a, a driver but out stepped bill french jr and they helped him over and he climbed up a couple of steps and walked up the, the, that bleacher was empty right where you pulled the irock car in so he set up about four or five rows by himself had a little 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 uh, light jacket on and i looked up at mr france um and it just, it got me, it just got me that he wanted to be there. He wanted to be there. And so Dale was making a cool down lap. And I, and I told my camera guy, Corky, I said, I'll be right back. So I ran out of victory lane and ran up those steps to Mr. France. 
and uh and he said he, he said hey doc and i said i said man it's so good to see you mr france i said uh it, it and he said well i wanted to be here for this one he, that's all he said i wanted to be here for this one and i said well i said i'm gonna make sure dale sees you as soon as he pulls in and because uh, you know people crowd around the race car so um i, I just patted him on the shoulder and he you know he because you know, he's always so nice to me. I ran back down to Victory Lane. Dale pulls it in the IROC car. Now, we're not live. We're, we're, we're taping it. We're in a tape delay situation. And, you know, they, he's taking the steering wheel off, you know, and they're putting the window net down. And they're doing the – I think they had a sponsor for the IROC series back then. It was a, a tobacco – it was a, 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 a hardware store, True Value. I think it was True Value Hardware Stores. Anyway, so they're putting that sign on the roof, and I put my head in, and I said, hey, hey, uh, hey, man – you got a you got a fan that came to watch you. He's, he looked at us. What what? I said look through the look up there. And I pointed to the windshield. He looked down like that. Looked and saw Billy sitting up there. And I mean he his eyes got moist. He climbed out of that car, pounded that pounded the roof of that car, and then looked at me and took off. He took off out of Victory Lane up there, and then our camera spun and got a shot of him running up there to to give Bill Jr. a hug. And then he came down to do Victory Lane. Mm. But uh, that was a priority. That was the respect factor. That was how much. People love Bill French Jr., but that was the respect that Bill French Jr. had for Dale Earnhardt, knowing how much that he gave his all, that Dale Earnhardt gave his all for the sport and for racing. Um, and eventually, you know, and that was a place where he gave everything, uh, and made the ultimate sacrifice. But I just thought that was so cool because Dale, Dale's impact on the sport goes far beyond what he did on the racetrack. Uh, winning races, winning championships, being a good guy for fans, you know, offering – to send checks uh, anonymously, you know, for fans that were in wrecks on the way home from races or to fly people to and from chemotherapy appointments and just making sure that no one knew that it was his helicopter that had been offered. He didn't want fans to know, you know, he didn't want anybody to know he was a nice guy. He didn't want to ruin that intimidator image. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's and just, it's just, you know, I think on the 20th anniversary of, of his passing, um, you know, uh, so many things are written and said about, what his sacrifice did for safety and has saved countless lives. I'm one that talks about how many lives we saw. Michael McDowell is a prime example. Michael McDowell's wrecked oh, yeah. driving for uh, Michael Waltrip at, at Texas in qualifying where he hit the wall at 203 miles an hour, I think was what the, what our, our our meter showed. And then he rolled side over side and end over end and had a three inch scratch on the back of his left hand. And that's it. You know, and a year earlier, this was in 2002, a year earlier, uh, if we hadn't had those changes and hadn't lost Dale Senior, we probably wouldn't have Michael McDowell today. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great that we remember Dale in so many ways for for what he did both on and off the racetrack. Yeah, and I think that that story is is so important because people need to know the respect that the sport itself and the the leadership of the sport had for Dale because everybody. There is no denying what Dale did when it came to the fan side of things. And whether you loved him or you hated him, you were talking about him and you were watching him race. And the number of, of eyes that he brought into the sport and, and, and just like the admiration that NASCAR fans had for what he was doing was so prominent and so strong and still is so strong in the fact that you see that Earnhardt three everywhere today, whether it's flying at a flag on the racetrack or it's a bumper sticker on someone's car. I mean, his legacy is still so strong within the fans, but that stories like that, that really highlight um, the respect 
that the sport had for him, but also highlights just how big of a loss that was for the entire NASCAR community, not just fans that loved him. I mean, his competitors, his owners, his, his bosses, the France family, when we lost Dale, that went way beyond losing a driver or a person. I mean, that was a friend and a trailblazer in a community that rallies around what he was doing every day. Like you said, getting in that race car and giving it his absolute all every single week. And losing Dale is sort of like, I said one night on a special afterwards, after we, I said losing Dale is like losing Elvis and losing all four Beatles all in the same time. The music world will never be the same. And for some people, um, NASCAR would never be the same without Dale Earnhardt. Now there are people, hopefully, uh, who are, who will have been able to get back to the sport because they've had Dale Earnhardt Jr. and they've had so many people that that embrace it and people that have texted me or emailed me or stopped me and said I just can't I just can't go back and I said no why I said Dale would want you back he he would he would the last thing he would want is for his loss to keep you from being around the sport he loved I said he would want you to be there uh, but yeah it, it did change it. It just changed it, and uh, and we miss his competitiveness on the racetrack, but it changed the sport for better, for so mm-hmm. in so many ways. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Dale is missed every single day, every single week, and that's incredibly evident. And it's like I said when I started this discussion, seeing the tribute on the third lap of the Daytona 500 this year says it all. I mean, that truly to see team members, crew members, crew chiefs, broadcast executives, pit road reporters, stopping what they're doing and standing there and holding up the three. That's all you need to know about the legacy that Dale Earnhardt continues to leave on our sport every single week. Yeah. Well, dad, um, I, I, I just, I just want to, I have so much we could talk about, but I, I feel like we, should just end it there because um, we can we can chat next week about road course racing. We can chat about what we're going to see this season, what we've already seen this season. But quickly, we would be remiss before we go not to give a just small love and prayers to Bob Jenkins, who announced this week that he is battling cancer. I know that that's an incredibly tough subject for um, – a lot of people, especially you, dad, you know, Bob incredibly well. And, and I just, we, we can go into more of this later about who he is, what he's done, what he continues to do and how much we love him. Um, but before we sign off today, I just want to remind everyone to continue to send prayers his way because, um, he, he needs them a lot right now. Well, Bob's a fighter and I text him almost every day and he's going, he's going to fight. He's going to fight. He knows he's got, um, an uphill battle but he also is not a quitter and he's a fighter and that's a great attitude to have. And, um, I spent a lot of my best moments in my career at the racetracks, um, and all kinds of racetracks and all kinds of scenarios, Bob Jenkins. So, and he's a believer and he believes, uh, for those of you listening that he believes as I do and you do Jesse in the power of prayer. And he said this week after making his announcement public, uh, sitting at the museum at Indianapolis motor speedway that he thought the prayers, we're already making a difference. He, is, he's, he started his chemotherapy and radiation therapy, and he was already starting to feel a little bit better. So keep those prayers coming, folks, because we need people like Bob Jenkins uh, to be around for a long time. And by the way, Bob told me 
and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing it. His plans were to be in Daytona for speed weeks. <clears throat> he, uh, he, uh, uh, and, and then this was, this diagnosis came a week before he was to leave. So, uh, his plan was to be there. Go down. He had a condo rented. He was going to the racetrack every day. Uh, last year he went, uh, he was invited by Pam Miller. who used to be our pit producer and, and, and Kevin Clark and a few other of our close friends that work for Fox. He was invited to come over to the TV compound. Says, come over. And he said, well, I don't belong in the Fox TV compound. So no one's going to know who this old man is. So oh, you don't understand. <laughs> People know who you are. You're a legend, man. So Bob went over there and walked through the TV compound last year. Um, and everyone walked up and gave him a hug and a pat on the back. And this year he was planning on doing it again, but this, this, uh, this bump in the road here, uh, with this diagnosis, uh, kept him from being there. So let's hope our prayers keep coming and Bob keeps fighting and we can, we can help him through this and we can get him back to a racetrack, uh, to enjoy what he loves and what we love and which is the sport of racing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you said it, he is, he is a legend. There's no denying that. And so it's our duty dad sometime in the next few weeks to highlight that legend and tell the story of Bob yeah. Jenkins and, yeah, and express to everyone just how important this man is. If you, as if you already, already don't know and love him, but, um, dad, it's going to be an awesome 2021 NASCAR season between schedule changes, new winners, young winners, new, new broadcast members it's going to be so exciting uh and i'm really looking forward to it and i'm also really looking forward to this season of our podcast because <laughs> not to pat myself on the back or say i told you so but um i've had a very large number of inquiries about our role in stickers let me tell you, I could never have imagined, and in all honesty, I did not expect this many people to want stickers. Um, so I'm going to try to get those in the mail ASAP. I already have a lot of them, but I'm going to have to order more thank you cards. I ordered a pack of about 36 thank you cards, thinking that would be more than plenty, and it was not. So uh, thanks to everyone that's asked about a sticker. Dad, it's been really cool. I've had some people say, you know, they, just like people telling me why they want stickers other than enjoying the show. But they said, I, some people say, I want them for my toolbox. Uh, I have another friend that says I want to put one on the background of his podcast studio when he records his podcast. And then I've also had a couple people say they want them to put on their race car, which made me oh, smile awesome. really big. And I right. thought that, that was really cool. So uh, look out for those stickers. They will be in your mailbox sometime in the next couple days. I can't wait for you to go to Victory Lane one day. One of these short track races and interview a driver and look down and there is a rolling with the punches oh. the whole cool would that be huh that would be so so cool yeah i oh man so if you get your sticker and you do yeah. decide to put it somewhere cool please let us know send us a picture because we'd love to hear from you dad with that i gotta i got a race to produce in about 30 minutes so i'm gonna go get get ready get set up to produce this cup series race watch the uh road course action at daytona but i enjoy doing this with you and i look forward to chatting to chatting many more exciting storylines next week well, I do too as well, Jesse. Great job. Excited for you to be in Daytona at the uh, New Smyrna, rather, with the World Series of Asphalt. A great week of racing. Uh, again, congratulations to Michael McDowell. Good things happen. You know, good guys don't have to finish last. Good guys can finish first. And that's a prime example of that happening last week in the Daytona 500. And uh, I can't wait for episode 33 next week. <laughs> episode 33, it's going to be a blast, Dad. Um, I'll talk to you next week, and I love you so much. I love you too, sweetie.